KMTT. You are listening to the Arab Shabbat program. Kaf Gimel Adar Aleph. Arab Shabbat Kodesh Parshat Vayakhel. Shabbat Mevarchim Rosh Chodesh Adar Bet. You're listening to your host, Jonathan Snowbell. And the Arab Shabbat program is Lilui Nishmat, Shlomo Yosef, and Chaim Shmuel. If we're talking about who, to whom should we be makdish this shiur, or this Erev Shabbat program, uh, driving back in from Yerushalayim and listening to the radio, uh, the first people who come to mind, of course, are the people of Sterot, the people of the area surrounding the Gaza Strip, who once again have uh, been under... Uh, extremely heavy fall of Qassam rockets and other rockets and uh, unfortunately one person was killed yesterday as well and it is on that note of trying to feel connected to the people of Sterot um, it is uh, is on that note that we would like to think about and talk about on this Arab Shabbat program. If we think about the situation of B'nai Israel in the Midbar, they have a very um, enviable situation when it comes to the concept of Am Yisrael. Here is the entire nation that we today are part of, but here the entire nation, instead of being spread out across the country, or spread out across an entire world. Here they are all together, jam-packed into one encampment with travels together through the Midbar, with a unified leader, Moshe Rabbeinu, with a Mishkan, or building, if we're talking about this week's portion, together building a Mishkan and keeping that Mishkan in the middle of their encampment. What a tremendous sense of family, of Am Yisrael, of togetherness, without a doubt, if the north side of the encampment was attacked by enemies, the entire camp would feel threatened, would feel concerned, and would immediately get into action to defend their brothers on the other side of the encampment because they wouldn't view them as their brothers on the north side of the encampment rather they would view them as part of their collective and they would feel threatened by the north side being attacked and not view it as somebody else's problem but as their own problem what an enviable situation that Am Yisrael for them was such a natural, natural feeling. There was no need to feel the other person's feelings and identify with their situation because everybody's situation was the same situation. Today that's not the case. As enviable as the situation might have been or was, today that's not the case, and it won't be the case. In that physical sense of putting all of Am Yisrael together, 
There's never going to be a situation like that together again. In that same sense. On some levels, perhaps historically, all the Jews living in Eretz Yisrael have at times, even in the modern era, felt threatened as a collective for the Six-Day War. Perhaps now, when discussing the the Iranian nuclear uh, threat. However, Am Yisrael is not entirely in Eretz Yisrael. The majority of the Jewish people still live outside of Eretz Yisrael. And we then have a, a need to connect with people across the globe. And unfortunately, with new types of wars that have developed in the last 10, 20 years, however we want to say, we're not dealing with wars on the Israeli front as a whole, but we're dealing with local wars, whether it's a war in the north or it's a war in the south. Even within the state of Israel, it is possible for a person to not connect to what is happening in a different part of the country because it doesn't seem to affect them. There are Qassam rockets falling in Sterot and in the area. But for me, the citizen of Alon Shvut, of Gush Etzion, of Jerusalem, of Tel Aviv, doesn't really have an impact on my life. I don't live in fear that a rocket may fall on my house. I don't live in fear that a rocket might fall on me as I walk in the street. I don't live in fear that of anything else of that nature. How do I connect? What do I do? Throw in something else into the into the picture. Um, when we talk about the advent of communication throughout the 20th century and into the 21st century, and the ability for us to see wars as they're happening, perhaps on the first level there's a stronger sense of identification with what is happening far away. And on the other hand, with, with all of the news that we're exposed to and throw into that television programs and movies, perhaps a certain sense of a wall being built around us that makes us ambivalent and untouched by what we see on TV. And when we hear over and over again that rockets are falling, it's hard to be distressed by it constantly, and it's easier to disattach. And yet with all of this, we need to identify, we need to care. And perhaps going back to our place in the Midbar and Parshat Vayakel, which again, the Mishkan is in the forefront, this building, this Mishkan, brings all of Am Yisrael together. And this takes us back to last week's Parsha and next week's Parshat Shkalim, the Machatzit Shekel. 
the machatzita shekel, which is famously a half, because a half is not complete and it needs to be completed by the other. And Bnei Israel could have been asked to give an entire shekel, but they're asked to give a machatzita shekel in order to be incomplete, in order to be completed only by their other brothers who are giving the machatzita shekel. And the machatzita shekel is the basis on a one-time level for the Adanim in the Mishkan, the silver base of the Mishkan, which held up the wooden pillars of the Mishkan. The Adanim, everybody gave equally to the Adanim, and they are the basis of the Mishkan. They are what, they are what hold the Mishkan together. And the Machatzita Shekel is given on a yearly basis for the Korbanot Tzibur, for the public sacrifices that were brought in the Mishkan and the Mikdash. Because we are one Tzibur, we are one nation, we are one family, B'nai Yisrael, B'nai Yaakov. The term B'nai Yisrael, B'nai Yaakov is a very family-sounding term. And we have to cultivate this idea of family. We have to cultivate this idea that we are one unit. And when one part of the unit is threatened and in distress and in danger, we are all in danger, we are all in distress. We have to truly cultivate the idea that B'nai Yisrael, Am Yisrael, is a body, is one organism. And just like, and though it's cliche, and though it's been said before, has to be said over and over again. And just like when the left hand is hurt, the right hand is not happily going on its merry way because it's not hurt, because the left hand is part of that whole organism, which the right hand is part of as well. And it is the right hand suffering when the left hand is hurt as well, because the right hand isn't an independent unit, but it's part of that whole. And over and over and over again, throughout the Torah, this idea of being a unit is stressed to us. We all build the Mishkan together. We are all part of the Mishkan. Because the Mishkan serves all of us, and it serves that connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the ultimate connection is not between individuals in Am Yisrael to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but to all of Am Yisrael. And when Am Yisrael sin, and when portions of Am Yisrael sin, all of Am Yisrael suffers a consequence. And when Am Yisrael is in danger, when portions of Am Yisrael are in danger, all of us are in danger. When the future of a city in Am Yisrael is in question, when the future of the city of Sterot and the people in the neighborhood are in danger, then we are all in danger. Somehow this also has to translate into actions. And because... Everything that we do in life has influences from two places. 
we can learn and develop this idea which we are talking about now, about how Am Yisrael is all one nation and how we're all connected to each other and we're all responsible for each other and we're all dependent on each other. And then we have to take actions to fulfill this belief and idea. And by taking action, not only will will we be strengthening our actions, but ultimately we'll be strengthening our ideas. From our actions, our hearts are pulled. And a person who is involved with what is going on in steroid with their actions, they'll be more caring and they'll be more involved. And here we stand, just a few short weeks before Purim, and a couple of months before Pesach, and the first thing that we can all do, whether we are here in Eretz Yisrael or whether we are abroad in Chutz Laaretz, we can investigate and look into what ways have the people in our community, the people in our surroundings, what are they doing to help the people of Stero towards Purim? Are there Mishloch Manot being organized in the schools that our children go to? Are there Matanot Avionim being organized, earmarked specifically for the people of Sterot? who are going through an economic crisis due to the, the military situation there. How are they getting together helped for Pesach? If no one's organizing in our communities, are we the type of people who can raise ourselves and organize our community to help such th- pro- programs? We have to keep our ears open, our eyes open, look around, see what is happening in order to see how we can help, how we can be connected. All of us care, but we all have to make that little more effort to not just have our heart feel broken when we hear the news from Sterot, but translate that pinched heart that heart that's aching, that heart that's hurt, into actions and see what we can do to help. And not just say a lot of statements, but do a- make do actions, do something. There are people in Israel who are going to, sh- to Sterot for Shabbatot. People who are moving to Sterot, believe it or not. And all of us have to find our way to help the people of Sterot, to pe- help the people in the area. They need our support, they need our help. Just a week and a half ago, tens of thousands of people, or 10,000 people, what is reported on the news, went to Sterot on Fridays to, to buy things, to do their shopping in Sterot. And each and every one of us have to find our way to connect to the people of Sterot, to help them, and to realize that we are helping our brothers, our family, and ultimately ourselves. Not in the sense of being selfish, well, if I help the people of Sterot, I'm helping ourselves. But really reaching out to that fellow man, to that fellow Jew, in distress, and realizing that this is what Am Yisrael is about. We are a family. We have to remember that all the time, and not stand back and watch from afar. But realize that it's our brothers that we're helping, it's our brothers that we need to take care of. And with that note, we will... Give the microphone over to Rav Tabari. This week is the yard site 
of Moreno Harav Yaakov Kamenetsky, the Rosh Hashiva of Tarvadas, who was born in Lithuania in 1891. As a matter of fact, his birthday is Chaf Aleph Adar, which corresponds to the English date February 28th, which happens to be the date that I am taping this broadcast. And he was Niftar in Adar Aleph of 1986. Rabiakov was born in a small town to a family whose parents, whose family was one of business people who felt that it was better to support Torah than to receive support from Torah. The tales of Rabbi Yaakov's life are told today in many various books. The Art Scroll series put out a book called Rabbi Yaakov, but of course the definitive work of the life of, and influence of Rabbi Yaakov is written in the book by his son Rav Nassim Kamenetsky, The Making of the Guttle, Making of the Guttle. And the entire uh, history of that book and the ramifications of its printing are well known to the people who are interested in books and on the internet there's much information about this particular issue. It's a shame, in my opinion, that the book has not come out in its second volume. The author originally promised that he would uh, follow this first volume up with more volumes. But nevertheless, anyone who's really interested in understanding Rabbi Yaakov should read a book that was attested to by his son. And in fact, all the information that's found in the original art scroll book about Rabbi Yaakov was gone over by Rabbi Kamenetsky, by Rabbi Nassim Kamenetsky, and who verified the information found in that particular book. The history of Rabbi Yaakov, very briefly, is in the city in which he was born, he was known at a very young age to be a very bright boy, and he was brought up in the yeshiva world. His older cousin was Rabbi Yaakov Ruderman, who later became the Rosh Yeshiva of Baltimore, of Ne'er Yisrael. And they entered yeshivas together. Eventually they moved to Slabotka together. Three of, of the most famous gedolim in America in the mid-50s, 60s, of the uh, 1940s, 50s, 60s in America, were together there in Slabotka, Baron Cutler, Rav Ruderman, and Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. And they were friends from before that, and we retained this friendship and this camaraderie all through their lives. In 1937, Rabbi Yaakov came to America. After he had been in Slabotka and always viewed himself as a Talmud of the Altar, as a Talmud of Slabotka, after many years of connection with Lita, besides having learned in the yeshiva, he became a Rav in various communities in Lithuania. He moved to America in 1937, when he was already 46 years old. His name had preceded him. The Rav of, I said, 
certain communities. As a matter of fact, we, my family had some sort of a personal history with Rav Yaakov because one day after my father was Niftar and we went through his possessions, we found a letter from Rav Yaakov written to him in which basically Rav Yaakov gave my father smicha. When he came to America in 1937, in the early years of being in America, he became a Rav in various communities. He was in Seattle for a time, and then he moved to Toronto. In Toronto, his influence was felt many, many years after he left Toronto. When I was living in Toronto for four years, 1975 to 1979, people used to tell me, Rabbi Yaakov said this, and Rabbi Yaakov said this, and Rabbi Yaakov did this, and Rabbi Yaakov did that. His influence had been very strongly felt in Toronto, and it seems that Rabbi Yaakov had an interest in the Toronto jury for the rest of his life. He always inquired, was interested, and wanted to know what was going on. He became a Rosh Hashiva of Tarvadas in 1948. It need not be said the standard cliches about Russia Yeshiva, Tamit Chacham, he gave Shiurim, he was a, known for his tremendous Avasatara, standard things that you can say about any famous Russia Yeshiva. But Rabbi Yaakov was unusual in the fact that his intellectual curiosity extended beyond the normal paths of what we, is, is traditional in yeshiva. In his curiosity about other things, he used to mention casually how he knew the names of the planets in Latin and in German. He would express interest in the landing on the moon and was very interested in finding out the details and understanding about it. He also somehow seemed to un- try to translate that into halachic terms and understand the Rambam according to what, was, what he understood as modern science. In general, very often, details that sometimes eluded other gedolim were very much implanted upon his mind, and he spent much time elaborating upon these points. For example... Most Rashi Yeshiva don't particularly study Diktuk or Ta'amei HaMikra or Tanakh in general. When one studies the Svarim of Rabbi Yaakov, today, in a certain sense, it's, it's wonderful. In a certain sense, it's a little unfortunate that the main Sefer that people use of Rabbi Yaakov is his Pewish on Chumash Emes Liyakov in that Sefer many times you'll see discussion about Ta'amei HaMikra why is there a Shvonah here why is there a Dagesh here why is there an Esnachta here a, a topic that generally was not addressed by Rashi Yeshiva you also see a wide awareness of Tanakh and I think that's something that I personally have seen how his children, how his family has picked that up from him of learning Tanakh and becoming big experts in Tanakh. I said it's fortunate and a little unfortunate that the Sefer Emes Liyakov and Chumash 
became the safer, the trademark by which Rabbi Yaakov is known. The story that I've told before about the Arsameach bears retelling. When the Arsameach decided to print his safer on Chumash called Meshachachma, he wanted his safer on Shas, or better yet, on Rambam, Arsameach be printed first. Although he thought that Meshachachma was a wonderful safer, in many respects he thought it was a greater safer than the Arsameach, he did not want his reputation to rely mainly on the fact that he had written a safer in Chumash. Rashi Yeshiva traditionally deal with Lambdas and somehow also deal in Chumash or, or Tanakh. So, Rameer Simcha insisted that the Arsameach be printed, the Arsameach, the Sefer of Lambdas and the Rambam, be printed before he prints the Meshachachma. After he has a reputation as being the author of the Arsameach, people will study the Meshachachma and understand who the Gadol who wrote the Meshachachma indeed is. Rabbi Yaakov had Svarim as Svarim on Lambdas. On the MS Liakov today has been printed on various Mesechtas and Shas, and various Sedarim and Shas, and Rabbi Yaakov had a plan to write Ha'aros on Shas, Shulchan Aruch, that were the crowning desire, perhaps, of the later years, once he retired from Tarbadas. In an unusual situation, Rabbi Yaakov left Tarbadas as a retiring Rosh Hashiva, in 1968, and moved to Muncie. When he moved to Muncie, his plan was to divorce himself from communal affairs, divorce himself from being active in Yeshiva of Tavadas for all kinds of reasons which perhaps are known to the family better than are known to the public. But when he went to Muncie, of course, the people automatically came to him as, as the great Gadol that he was, and it kept him extremely busy for the rest of his life. His plan to write his Farim and to print his Chidushim is being fulfilled more after his Patira than beforehand. These Farim, unfortunately, are not that well used in the yeshiva world. At least, from my experience, I have not seen people use these svarim as much as they use other svarim of Rashi Yeshiva. Perhaps the style of not writing a shear on a topic, or not dividing it uh, by mesechtas and explaining the shiurim point by point, is maybe part of the reason for it. But nevertheless, it's a shame that I don't feel these svarim have really taken off in the yeshiva world. The Sefer, on the other hand, Emes Liakov, is something that you'll see in many, many, many homes, and is quoted by many, many Rabbanim. I have not seen or heard that they generally will quote these sections that Rabbi Yaakov refers to Tameh HaMikra or to Tanakh, but they do use his ideas quite often. Right now I'd like to share one idea with you, which I feel is very typical of Rabbi Yaakov's person as well. In Chumash, we know that Yaakov had told Lavan that he would marry Rachel, and he would work seven years. Afterwards, when Lavan tricked him and gave him Leah instead of Rachel, so Yaakov volunteered to work more years, and to marry Rachel as well. 
And of course we know the halachic issue raised by having two sisters as wives. And of course the Ramban and others have discussed this question, how could it be? And many solutions have been found. But Rabbi Yaakov asked one simple question. Why is it that Yaakov did marry her? Now, if you're going to ask me, is there a heter? Okay, we'll figure out what the heter is. But why did Yaakov do it in the first place? Why could Yaakov not, not have just have said, since I married Leah, so, okay, whatever was done was done. I can't marry Rachel now. But Yaakov answered so simply that Yaakov had already promised Rachel that he's going to marry her. Inasmuch as a heter could be found, he should not break his promise to Rachel because of his personal adherence to Frumkai, to Halacha, which need not be observed. You could find a heter for this. Since a heter could be found, Yaakov Avinu did not want to hurt the feelings of Rachel that he promised that he'll marry the one other particular point of Rabbi Yaakov that I'd like to point out was all the re- people who talk about Rabbi Yaakov can talk about his lambdas, can talk about the shiurim, can talk about all the standard things that you see about Rashi Yeshiva. But Rabbi Yaakov just exuded sweetness, personality to every single person. Whenever anybody came to his house, whenever anybody saw him, almost every picture you've seen of Rabbi Yaakov, there's a big smile on his face. And I'd like to relate one personal incident that occurred between me and Rabbi Yaakov. I only met him once in my life. But that time, I was visiting Muncie. I stayed at, the friend, at a friend's house, Rabbi Shimon Cohen, and he had another guest at the same time, Rabbi Moshe Herschler. And Moshe Herschler was a well-known Tamid Chacham who lived in Yushalayim, who published many Svarim of Rishonim, as well as his own Chidushim. Rav Herschler at the time was also visiting Mansi, and he said to me one day, while we were both in the house of Shimon Kohn, he said, you know, that he's going today to visit Rabbi Yaakov, he'd like me to come along. So I said, of course, what a privilege, I'm going to visit Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. I went in, and Rav Herschler introduced me, and Rav Yaakov turned to me and said, How's your father? Now, my father was a well-known Rav in America, and many, many people knew him, and many people knew that he was not always in the best of health. He, for many, many years, he, he was known to be uh, not in the best of health. So Rav Yaakov asked, How's your father? And I answered him. And then he turned to me with the same smile, the same tone, And what's the mother? And how's your mother? And I said to him that, you know, wherever I go, and I meet Rabbanim, Rashi Yeshiva, many of them ask, how's my father? They all know about him, they know about his history, they know him personally. But I said, very rarely has anybody asked me about my mother. And I found it a little bit unusual that the Rashi Yeshiva will ask me about my mother. And his reply to me, with his typical smile and sweetness was, why should I not ask about your mother? When I came to visit your home in Baltimore, she took such good care of me, she prepared everything for me, she cooked, she baked, she washed, she did everything for me. Why shouldn't I ask about your mother? This attitude and personality of Yaakov is perhaps one of the greatest legacies of Rabbi Yaakov. The Sefer Munchas 
perhaps they will be more used. Perhaps they're more used than I understood. His Sefer Amos Liakov, the classic, everybody knows and uses. His legacy is also found in his family. All his children are famous Rabbanim in their own rights. His son-in-law and Shurin of Ephrat and the grandchildren are all Malbisei Taira, a very well-known family. But perhaps more than anything else, Rabbi Yaakov was known as a real Tamid Chacham, a real Gadol, who was really, really a gentle, sweet, and nice man. Thank you very much, Rav Tavori. Once again, it's hard to add on what we said on the first half of the program. Our hearts and our prayers and hopefully our actions too are with the people of Sderot and the people surrounding Aza. And we pray that their suffering should end soon. And we pray that until their suffering ends, that God gives us the strength and the wisdom to know how to help them and give them what they need. Omdim bain bayam uvein bayabasha Hamakam yerachem yerachem alayem veyotiyem mitara Livacha umeafela leora umishirabudli geula hashta Bagala Uvizman Kariv. Now, soon, speedily, may the problems of the people of Sterod be behind us. Shabbat Shalom.